This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Delving into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. Uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to the Charlie Harari Show. I hope everybody's doing well. Hope you had a great week. Thanks so much for joining me again. Appreciate you coming back on. For those that are coming for the first time, welcome to the show. This is a show in which we talk about life through the prism of the world and what's going on around us. For those that have been coming back, I appreciate you coming back and giving me the opportunity to speak to you every week. Usually we speak about politics and try to analyze our candidates, our system, and what's going on in the world. Today I want to change the topic up a little bit and talk about something else that's going on in the world, the Olympics. Right? The Olympics is, I find it to be a fascinating, fascinating thing, right? It draws us like a magnet, right? It comes infrequently. It, you know, you're, it's here and then it's gone for two years, right? Or if it's a particular meet, it's four years, right? Because the Summer Olympics is every four years. It then comes back and just sort of like swoops into our lives it gives us new characters, most of which we've never thought about before. Even, you know, Michael Phelps or any of the major, you know, Olympic athletes, no one's ever thought of them six months from now or a year from now, right? Unlike a sports team that plays every season or something that you see on television that's every week, we don't even know these people and then they just come into our lives. And then for, you know, two weeks, a week and a half, whatever it is, we, at least I, become somewhat obsessed with the most, you know, if you take a step back and think about it, the most ridiculous activities, right? Let me, let me explain what I mean. So I'm on the road this week. I'm in Tampa, Florida, and I'm having a meeting for business, and I'm sitting across the table from somebody, and he's talking to me. Now, behind him, the restaurant had on all these television screens, and there was some track and field meet, right? So he's talking to me, and it's a really important business meeting, and I've got to try to impress this guy, and um, we're having an interesting conversation about economics and the market, and he's asking me really pointed questions, and i got to get on my game. And every time he looks away or down at his notepad, I find myself sort of staring at the screen behind his head, right? And... I don't know why that is, right? It's just people running around a track. And I'm just like so connected to that. I come back, meeting's over, spend the rest of the day doing what I'm doing. And then at the end of the day, I come back to my hotel room and just instinctively put on the Olympics. And I'm just sitting there watching people, you know, run races and, you know, and jump over, you know, tall beams and swim and just doing all these different things. And I find myself so excited, so uh, ha- I don't, I, I'm enthralled, I guess is the right word, to these races. So I go to bed at night and I think to myself, wait, wait, wait a second, wait a second. Why do I care? Like, why do I care? Like, 
it's not even like, you know, when you're a sports fan, right, lots of times people think they're sports fans because of the underlying game. That's a little true. Um, but you're a sports fan because of a whole variety of reasons, right? One, you like the game, let's say, right? So you like basketball or you like football or you like tennis or whatever the game you like to play. So you enjoy, you know, seeing somebody else play it at a higher level. Two, you you have a connection to something because, you know, you you know, you remember it as a kid and your mind created these sort of neuroplastic connections that, um, you know, drew you to it at a time where you were younger, right? So I'm a giant fan, not because I thought about it. I'm a giant fan because that's what I was a giant fan as a kid. That's what we did in high school and elementary school. And, you know, I got years of my brain seeing those colors and connecting it to me, right? Lots of people are college football fans, not because they love college football. It's because they went to that college and they remember those days and it draws them back. So sports typically provides or gives us some deeper connection to the team. But the Olympics, we don't know anybody. I mean, we know our country, so there's a sense of pride. But at the end of the day, you know, after, you know, you win like 30 medals or something, like, it, you know, how much, I mean, okay, it's, there's pride there. And there's, everyone remembers those moments where, you know, um, you know, the gymnasts beat, you know, the, the Russians by, you know, point one. Okay. But for the most part, it's not necessarily a pride thing. And they're doing things that, if we take a step back and think about it, are like, I don't say they're meaningless, but like if I took a bunch of adults and put them in a room and said, hey, run to that corn, that cone, they'd be like, why? Right? If I took a bunch of kids over the age of like 10 and said, okay, everybody, just run, they'd be like, for what reason? Like, is there a ball? Is there, I mean, what's going on? And that's what we do. Like, just we're like, hey, look, they're going to run from point A to point B. That's what's going to happen. Like, that's it. There's nothing else. They're just going to stand here and then they're going to run there. And whoever wins is a hero. And that, that's all they do. They're just running. They're, just, they're, they're, no, they're not doing anything else. They're not saving someone's life. They're not, you know, jumping out of, out of a plane. They're not, you know, curing anything. They're just running. They, they, well, we're just going to stand in the pool. They're just going to swim. They're just going to go from point A to point B and come back. And the one who can just go back and forth quicker that wins Call of War. <laughs> this is what it is. Right? And, like, and we're, like, yeah, glued. Glued. And then the people that can do that are, like, heroes. And they come home and people cry. And then the cover of magazines, and people want to be like them. It, it, it's incredible, if you think about it. Like, why do we care so much? So I spent the night thinking about it. Not the whole night, but at least till I fell asleep. And here's what I came up with. And tell me if you agree or disagree with my analysis. You can always reach out to me at... You can tweet me at Charlie Harari if you uh, think something, or email me at my name, charlie at charlieharari.com. You're always welcome to. And here's my, my thought. We don't watch the Olympics for the Olympics. Like, I don't think we are turning on the television because our conscious, rational brain says, spending the next ten minutes while I should be providing for my family, staring at a screen of people just running around the track three or four times to watch somebody win and raise their hands and get a little piece of gold is inherently a rational or reasonable activity. I don't think people think that. I think if you put us in the room and gave us a quiz and said, does this activity make sense? You would probably say no. The Olympics 
are so attractive because they stand for something. They are a metaphor for life. You see, lots of times in life you're attracted to something because of what it provides you as an inherent internal value that you deep down believe. You will watch things, you will experience things, because it gives you something. It gives you a nugget. It gives you a, uh, a moment or an insight or a feeling. And the feeling you're getting when you're experiencing something for somebody else is something that you value deep, deep down. And in life, it's harder to get it. And so what we do is we... I'm not saying this is inappropriate, but let's just call it as what it is. We escape to a place that gives us this value cheaper. That's what it is, right? So each and every one of us, I believe, are born with a soul. And the soul has this inherent need and desire for greatness. There is a sense of triumph over evil. There's a sense of fighting through challenge. There's a sense of heroes and, and villains. These are all sort of things that are innate. You can take ten people from ten, ten different parts of the world and ask them things like, you know, um, hard work and what that means to get what you can and who do you respect and who do you love. And you will find that if you need any proof, you can just go to the Olympics, right? In the Olympics, you will see the exact same story in every country around the world. Regardless of what the dominant religion is, or the, the age of the country, or the economic viability of the country, you will see the same stuff, right? You will see people get excited about those that worked hard. You will see the same stories being told again and again of that person who overcame some challenge and had a disadvantaged childhood and rose and won the gold. This is the same story again and again, and it doesn't matter where, because these are inherent traits, no one went around around the country and taught it to the kids. It's in our souls. It's who we are. It's inherent in how we operate and how we see the world. And so these values are here. But, but life is complicated. And life is murky. Right? And in life, how do you know if you're winning or losing? Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes winning is losing and losing is winning. Right? Sometimes, you know, getting that next big sale and leaving, you know, your kids in the dust is a loss. And sometimes getting that next big sale and leaving your kids at home is a win. Right? It that's just that's life. It's hard. Sometimes, you know, being the man is a win, and sometimes being a man, the being the man is a loss because you need to create some room for the woman in your life. And vice versa. Sometimes being the woman is the win, and sometimes being the woman is the loss, because you need to give room for the man in your life. Right? That's how life works. It's a complicated, murky, ambiguous journey of trying to become great. And that's really where the truest of greatness comes. Right? It's, well, who's greater? A, um, a soldier that's on the... Uh, that's, you know, actually, who's greater? An athlete that knows they got to swim to this, you know, to this point and then they're good and they're done or a commando 
that has to navigate through these difficult terrains to save someone's life, right? The ambiguity, the difficulty, the murkiness of the life of a commando is inc- is a million times more important than the Olympic athlete. I don't think anybody would ever, I would hope, I would hope no one would ever think that an athlete is more important for society or more of a hero than a soldier, right? So it's the murkiness that makes us great. However, we go through our lives and it's hard. And so what we do is we look over sometimes to areas that are easier and we just get enjoyment living through them. So the easiest thing that we can see is the Olympics, right? The goal is set. It's clear as day. The enemies are, are, are obvious, right? And all you got to do to accomplish the goal is to get to a point and everyone's competing for it. And so all that inherent value of ch- challenge and triumph and overcoming things, it's all there. It's all laid out for us. And so for the moment, we get to live it through somebody else. We get to find the representative of us, which is, if you're listening to this from the United States of America, the person from USA. But if you're an immigrant, you may go back to Italy or France or wherever and say, hey, I'm going for them too, whatever that is. And then you get to watch an athlete compete in a very finite period of time. And there's clear winners and losers. And there's clear you know, victors, challenge, and obstacles, and it all comes down to these inherent traits that we all deep down want for ourselves. And what I, what, I, what, I, what I realized last night was that I wasn't watching the Olympics because I knew the people that were on it, nor did I deep down care. I care about my family an enormous amount more than that, and I care about my business and my career and my life, but they were giving me a shot of greatness for free all I do is watch this by the way is why we watch certain movies or shows or games because it gives us a shot of greatness you see some like you know uh, police officer or, or, or SWAT team or football player or whoever go through the challenges of working out and or solving crime or whatever that it is that they're doing and you get to live that life through them for a moment even though it's scripted you don't care because it's not conscious it's a subconscious need to matter to win to be successful to be great we have this subconscious need to be great and we get that through watching other people. And by the way, some parents do this to their children, which can be very dangerous. It can be good, but it can be dangerous too. Some parents have net want to be great and see themselves and say, listen, it's too late for me to be great, but my kids got some talent. Let me push them to be great. And there's a lot of value there, um, but there's also a lot of danger there depending on the parents and whatever. We'll talk about that maybe at another time. And so the Olympics come in, and this is what they give us, these doses of, of lessons of greatness. And so what I wanted to do on this show is identify why they are so great. And what are the lessons that we can take with us as the Olympics start to pack up that we could apply into our lives so that the greatness that we feel isn't only something that we're given to us 
sort of as a pill to swallow watching a game or a show, but something that we can put into our lives every single week. So that's what we're going to do on the show today. Today we're going to identify three traits that every Olympic athlete has. That's what got them there. And these three traits, I hope if we put into our lives, we're going to be able to make our lives a little bit better, a little bit greater, a little bit more Olympic. This is all coming up when we come back. This is Charlie Harari listening to The Charlie Harari Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Talking about Olympic athletes, greatness, and what are the traits that they have in order to make them great, and how we can put it into our lives to make ourselves a little bit greater. So let's dive in right away to the first. So yesterday I was on the road, like I said, and I had the opportunity to sit down with a Division I track and field star. So the two of us sat down, and I sort of picked his brain, being all blown away by the track and field and Usain Bolt and the whole team and everybody running and all that stuff. And I sat down with him, and I said, okay, listen, give me the inside scoop as to what it really takes to be an Olympic athlete, right? Because lots of these athletes are just D1 players, right? That's what they are. Then these athletes are they're, they're kids. They're college kids. You know, sometimes they go professional, but they're not. You know, you know, you're not over 30, right? So it's that range of Division One athletics, and and a little bit higher in terms of age and professionalism. But that's sort of where it is. What does it take for someone to become an Olympic athlete? And I was a little shocked. I wasn't that shocked, obviously, but I was a little shocked by what he said. And with that, I want to jump into the first principle that that really has to go in. So he said to me basically that there's let's say track and field. So track and field, for example, has got a these two different seasons as he explained to me. There's an indoor season and an outdoor season. And the indoor season begins um, somewhere in the wintertime, right? There's the indoor track and field, and it begins in the wintertime. And so he was saying to me basically, like, when you're a, a when you're an athlete and you've got a, if you're on a Division One track and field team, the, win- the beginning, so to speak, is um, is not, it's not the season, Right. In order for you to be get to a place where your body is peaking at season, you are training your body to slowly build an enormous amount of muscle and stamina over the course of time so that as you're building your body and building your body, you're building your body, it peaks during the meets. Right. So what he was explaining to me is that he shows up at college. Now remember, remember that season begins in the winter, right? In Jan, in in uh, let's say January, February time, right? So he shows up at college in August, and already in August, 
life for a college athlete isn't fun and games, right? You're waking up in the morning at 5.30 and you're running, right? If you're a runner and you're running and you're training and you're running five to seven days a week plus your studies and then you go to the gym and you're in the weight room in the afternoon and then you're doing more tracks and more meets and more everything that you're doing the entire day is to build and build and build your body to a place in which it can become stronger and stronger and stronger over time. And no athlete shows up in January or February and sort of like, you know, stretches and gets ready to go in December and blows through it. Every athlete is training early, every day, all day, or in between schoolwork, but basically all day, on the weekends, from August all the way through till January. And I was sitting in with him and I was like basically getting this, that in order to become a professional college athlete to be able to survive a meet in January, you have to begin the training for that meet in August. Because what Olympic athletes know that most of us don't is that greatness doesn't take place on the field. The field is where you deal with an enormously different set of challenges. The field isn't where you have to work your hardest to create the skills that you need to be successful. Where you create the skills that you need to be successful is where no one's watching. When no one's up. When no lights are on. True greatness is not when you're on the field. When you're on the field, it's an entirely different game, right? It's a it's a game of stress management. It's a game of execution of what you already know. It's a game of getting your mind right. That's a totally different exercise. The game is 100% mental. Getting you to an Olympic position to get in the games and compete at that level, that takes place in practice. And what Olympic athletes know that some people don't is that life is filled with people that just wing it. Life is filled with people that don't practice their jobs or lives or marriages or parenting or hobbies or spirituality enough. When we expect to be great in life, are we expecting to be great because we're naturally born into something? Well, everyone's naturally born into something, right? Every athlete shows up with a natural talent. You're not standing in front of a Division I team or a high school team or an Olympic athletic program, and you're not talented. Talent isn't what takes you to the goal line. Talent is what gets you in the door. Training is what takes you to the goal line. Training is where you separate yourself from everybody else. And what most of us fail to do in life is spend enough time in training. What do I mean? When we come back, we're going to talk about it. What does it mean to train in life? and how to get it done so that you can become more of an Olympic athlete. This is all coming up on the Charlie Harari Show. You're listening to the Charlie Harari Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. 
The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Talking about what does it take to be an Olympic athlete? And the answer is training. That's it. That is the difference maker between good people and great people. That's the difference maker between success and mediocrity. It's not the talent that you have. It's not the winging it that you see. It's whether or not you can actually train. Training is everything. Training is what makes athletes great. Training is what makes Hall of Famers. Right? I remember there was, there's a pitcher named Kurt Schilling Right, who I remember was was a pitcher for the um, for Arizona when they beat the Yankees. I forget which year in the two thousands. And at the end of the post game, Kurt Schilling said, "I owe this World Series to Roger Clemens, who was the Yankee pitcher." And they said, "Well, why?" He said that one day we were out together somewhere, and he said to me when I was first starting my career, Roger Clemens, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, said, "Kurt, if you want to make the postseason, you got to work in the off season." Where most of us live is we go to work, we have our lives. And if you take a second in your life, ask, okay, what is my life? What does your life consist of, right? So for most people, it's the career, the job, the family, right? Hobbies, and let's say spirituality. Let's, let, let's take those four bits. And for some people, it's more or less, and some, whatever that is. But let's put those four into a category. And for most of us, we wake up in the morning and we just go, right? We wake up in the morning and then we engage in our jobs. And then we engage in our families, and then we engage in our hobbies, and then we engage in our spirituality, right? And so we spend most of the time in the game. We spend most of the time playing the game of life. And we win, we lose, we have ups, we've got downs. But that's sort of where life ends, so to speak, for us. Because we're always, if you will, under the lights. We're always in game time. And you get to work, and you spo- your day's supposed to go one way, and it goes another way. And then you're doing that the whole day. And then you get home, and the kids are supposed to happen to the kids, and it goes a different way. right? And you go through your life, and for the most of the time, life is really this quest of just being on. And what we forget is that if you go back into your day over the course of your year, and just look at what you did every day, there must be a dozen things that you do again and again and again and again and again. And what we never think about is, hey, wait a second. Why don't I become an Olympic athlete in this particular area? Why don't I become an Olympic athlete in this particular thing? I do this all the time. This is my job, right? Why don't I become an Olympic athlete in being a mom? Like, I have my kids in the house for 10, 15, 20 years, whatever it is, right? That's it. Then they're going to get up, they're going to grow up, they're going to leave. So between the ages of, let's say, like, you know, 10 and the ages of of 17, I have my kids in my house. Why don't I become an Olympic mom? Why don't I spend time in training? Why don't I spend time thinking, what do great moms do? 
How do great moms deal with these issues? What do I have to learn or do or think about in my head or brain or thought to enable me to be better at my job as a mom? Do I need to read books on parenting? Do I need to think every day about my actions and then ask myself if I did good or bad today or how I would do that in the next day? Did I sit with my spouse and talk through things? What have I done to train myself for the job that I have called being a mom? I work every day and I'm okay at work, but what do I got to do to be incredible at work? What skills do I have that drew me to the job in the first place that if I can just hone into that specific skill, I can train that skill? I don't mean i got to be great at every little thing anyone ever asks me. I mean, in all the things that I do, here's the stuff that I can do really well. Here's the stuff that I can naturally do. This is the talent that I have. And if I don't find it in my job, or maybe I find it in my hobby. But I have talent. I'm a talented person. I have interests. What do I got to do to bring that out? What kind of training do I got to do on my own? What online courses can I take? What things can I do to push myself? What things can I do to train myself? Who can I speak to? What do I got to do to train myself to be better at my life? You see, most of us think that life is life, but it's not. There's two dimensions towards life. There's the game, and then there's the training. And the training is everything. The training is where it all comes down. The training is where you can separate yourself and take yourself to the next level. That's the game changer for the, for the people that are out there the best. The reason why, you know, let's take like a Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett isn't that much smarter than everybody else. He's smart. He's clearly more talented than most. But he's not like, you know, $30 billion smarter than the rest of the world, right? It's because he understands this idea. He spends most of his time training. It's incredible. He does. He spends most of his time reading. He spends most of his time thinking, His actions of making investments are so few and far between, but they're done with such precision because he spends so much of his time training himself. Great people that I've met in my life understand this. They understand that training themselves is a key portion of their success. And they're always trying to assess what they did right and wrong and train themselves and get wisdom from other people because they know that when you live your life half in training, then the times that you're on, you're a million times better. See, this is the difference maker between people that are Olympic athletes and people that are decent athletes. Olympic athletes are so involved in their sport that there's no other time for something else. Regular athletes have a million other things going on in their lives. And so they have to fit everything into this large salad called mediocrity. Remember when I was in law school? Anyone who's in law school, you know that your first year um, grades are the most important grades for your career, right? You get your grades after your first year. I don't know if I said this before. If I did, I'm sorry. So you get your grades after your first year of law school, and then you go out and you get your jobs. After your first year, um, if you don't have good grades, it's a much harder process to get out into the into the workforce. So I remember when I went to law school and I someone told me this idea and they told me the best advice I've ever gotten in my life and it changed my entire career. They said, listen, I know you've got a life. I was actually married when I got to law school and I had, I didn't have a baby, I was married. 
right? And I had a, you know, I was I was an athlete, and I'm, I used to be, and I used to have, you know, games I played every other night or something, and, you know, I had interest in sports and faith, and I've got, you know, a whole bunch of things going on. And they said, listen, you've got one year, everything goes. And I just remember, I sat down with my wife, and I said, listen, we we got to build a career together, and we're in this together. We've got one year, and I need you to support me. And my wife, to her credit, did. And I spent my first year in in hell, in, in agony, to be honest. Studying is every second for nine months, my first semester. And thank God I did well, and it changed my whole life. It changed my, I got a great job, and my whole career sort of exploded from there. My The next year, a friend comes in and says to me, Hey, I heard that you did well, and what, what's your secret? And I told him, the secret is focus, hard work. And I remember he said to me, he's like, yeah, but I, do I have to give up this and do I have to give up that? And what about the giant games every Sunday? And what about, you know, playing two, three days a week and I'm still dating and I got this and I got that? And I said, listen, do what you got to do. But like, this is the this is what I know. So he's like, okay. He goes off and does his whole thing, right? And then he does mediocre in school and then spends the next two years in stress that he had, didn't get good grades, couldn't kind of find a good job, came out of school even without a job, had debt. And then for the next five years until he sort of got his feet back on the ground and ended up in a decent firm, he was struggling. And it just taught me the lesson. When you're focused on something, at the time where you need to be focused on it, it'll last you for years afterwards, right? That's training, that's what that's what makes you become Olympic. You say, listen, there are times in my life where I got to focus on this, and I got to be great at this, and I got to understand it, and I got to be good at it, and I, I got to live my life with this understanding. And there will be times for other things, and when those things come, I'll take them later. But now I got to be great at something. Right? This is the idea of switch tasking versus multitasking. Multitasking is a myth. It doesn't really exist. So, but we think by juggling we're being better. We're not. We're being worse. Greatness is when you switch task, when you're focused on something and you're great at it. And at some point, you're really good at something. You say, hey, wait a second. I've got time for something else. But this focus of priorities, this focus on what you're really good at, this idea that you can be Olympic in your life if you can just focus on your talents and train yourself and get rid of other things, what it does is it takes all the other stuff that we're getting and we're sucking that that, that value out of and it makes it less valuable. What do I mean? It means all the times that we're looking around the world and reading and watching because we need to feel that like I'm being great so I live vicariously to somebody else, all of that goes away or starts to go away because you're working it on yourself, right? You're feeling you are getting the feeling of greatness because you are working on your life. And that's not a feeling that goes away when your TV shuts off. That's not a feeling that goes away when the season's over. That's not a feeling that goes away when everyone packs up from Rio. It's a feeling that you keep forever. That's the difference between someone who's Olympic and not. An Olympic athlete says, I want to be good for myself too. I'll be inspired by other people, but I'll take that inspiration and put it into my life. First and foremost, for those people that want to be Olympic, you have to realize that a portion of your life is in training. Training. That means, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? Who's the best out there? Who can train me? Who can work with me? How do I live my life in a way that the stuff that I do when I'm on is the best that it possibly can be? And that will change how you do what you do, which will give you more opportunity and the cycle, the spiral starts to stem higher. Number two, 
Olympic athletes, all, have a clear goal. It's amazing. It's almost like inspiring. It's almost like the clarity is inspiring, you know? I almost, I almost, I, I, I think I've spoken about this before, about how I love the behind-the-scene football shows. I love them. Hard knocks and all or nothing. And it's because I love the clarity of a football team that all they care about is one ring. I love the clarity of the athlete that knows all this is noise. What I really want is to get to that line faster. I want to touch that wall before the swimmer next to me. I want to score more points. I want to get more points in volleyball. I want to you know, get a perfect score on, on the floor exercise or whatever it is. Clarity is what gives you the power to push towards something. Most of us go through our lives without any real goals. We have no real clarity. We sort of feel our way around what would be great. Never once setting a goal because we're scared that the setting of one goal means the exclusion of another goal. Right? We want to be great at everything. So we just put everything down. Or we've given up on most things, so we just stop having goals at all. And we're just happy to get home and get through the week. Like, we're still living in a time in 2016 where people are like, TGIF. Right? It's incredible that, thank God it's Friday, still exists in 2016. Like, I get it when you were, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago when some of the jobs were so difficult and challenging physically. People were working in unsafe factories and th- th- their lives were just filled with such burden and toil that to get home and to get like a piece of bread and a meal and, and, a, and, a, and a warm room was like the wind. But come on. In 2016, with what's available today, People are still like just counting down five sevenths of their lives for it to be over to get two days where they get to escape the five, the fifth seven, the five sevenths of their lives that they don't like. Are we still living in that place of where like we look forward to a vacation to escape the life that we built for ourselves that we don't like? That's not Olympic. We we're living in a time right now where you could identify what is it that you want to accomplish, and it doesn't have to be big. It could be small. You see, our minds love goals. That's why we love races. That's why we love video games. That's why we love, you know, things that we can see and touch. That's why people play games for. Because games have goals. And we like to achieve goals, even if they're not the most deepest, biggest goals in life. Set goals for what you want to be. What do you want to look like? How much do you want to run? What kind of work do you want to put out? What kind of relationship do you want to have? You can turn it into a goal. And when you set a goal every single day that you're looking for, now you know what to practice to get towards. Otherwise, you're just playing around. Otherwise, you're just feeling around for where we're going. How's that going to ever get to true greatness? Number one, you got to practice. Number two, you got to know where you're going. But there's one more. This will come back and finish up the show and go through the last and most important exercise, I believe, for what it takes to become an Olympic athlete in life. This is Charlie Harari listening to The Charlie Harari Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. 
Little Bibby out of Chicago. Little L I Any anything you do with them people is snitch. I don't care if somebody shot your mama. I ain't I ain't calling no police. I'm not talking with them. Even under the circumstances of your mom being shot in the face, you don't talk to the police, Ty. It's not that they want to hurt cops. They don't want to interact with cops in any way, shape, or form under any circumstance. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Delving into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari. Welcome back to the show. Finalizing our discussion on what it takes to be an Olympic athlete. To become an Olympic athlete in life, you got to have time to practice. Athletes spend 30 seconds, sometimes you know, a couple of days at most, playing in their sport. The next three and a half, three, four years is just waking up every morning and practicing. You know, I was reading about the swimmers, about like how everybody like loved the swimmers and the racing the races are so exciting. And they forget that like these swimmers are waking up every morning at five every day of their entire lives and just swimming. Like their their commitment to their sport is uncanny. Practice. What is it that you want to be good at? And what do you gotta to do to get there? Two Goals. What goals do you have for yourself? Not twenty-year goals, two-year or two-month goals, one-month goals, one-week goals. If you can turn your life into a game and set goals for yourself, you'll be able to accomplish so much more. And the last, not the last, but at least the third for today, and the most important of the advices that I got from athletes, is ritual rituals. Athletes never wake up in the morning and go, hmm, when am I going to work out today? Ever. Athletes have a every day a ritual for their greatness. They're always in the gym at the same time. They're always in the workouts in the same days. They're always doing the same routines. They have ritualized their lives. And here's why. Because to do something hard requires mental energy. And mental energy is something that is the most valuable resource we have. That's why sometimes at night you come home and you're blown away. Because your mind is exhausted. So if you're going to take whatever mental energy you have that's going to have to all go into doing something great, right? Running hard or working hard or being more patient or whatever it is that you want to become good at. If you're going to take that mental energy and put it there then you can't afford to lose the mental energy that it takes for you to say, oh, should I do it? Oh, it's an hour. Oh, I got to do this now, but I want to watch this, but I want to go here, but I want to eat this. So what happens is your brain starts to use up its energy to just get to the exercise and then has more mental energy to do, to do the thing you got to do, right? But when you ritualize something, over the course of time, your brain starts to automatically connect you to that thing, saving you all the energy you need for the activity itself. Right? When you ritualize going to work every day, over time, it's not hard to get to work. But people who don't have jobs, it's really hard to get to work because they're so used to not going to work. 
But when every day you wake up at the same time and then you shower and then you do what you do and then you get to, it stops being a problem. In fact, sometimes you ever wake up in the morning and then you're at your desk and you're like, how did I even get here? You ever had that moment? You could have done 30 things to get to your desk and used no mental energy because your brain sees the pattern, solidifies the pattern and says, I got this. That's the most incredible piece of our brains is the ability to habituate life. That's why brushing the teeth takes no energy because you've been doing it so many times at the exact same time that your brain's got no need for any more energy left. It's a brilliant, incredible uh, gift that our brain gives us, that God gives us. When you have your goals, you've got to ritualize it. You've got to do it at the same time every day, the same time every week. When you ritualize your training and you ritualize your success, what will end up happening is you will you will easier get to the things you've got to do to become greater at, at things that you want to be great at. That's what makes athletes so great, is that they are constantly ritualizing their life. They know that i got to get through these many hours of practice, and then I'm off. And then at the end of the day, when they're chilling and, and sitting around and you know hanging on the couch, they're... They know they've accomplished something, and they can do that with, with full ease. But the guy next to them, who's sort of like playing around, sitting on the couch also feeling just as exhausted without doing anything. Because he hasn't tapped into the incredible power of the ritual. So that's how it works. And with this, I'll conclude the show. One, Olympics give us a taste of what greatness is. But don't allow that to be the end. And, and you could always be inspired by other people. But let's use it to become Olympic athletes in life. How? One, practice. Spend enormous amounts of time practicing life so that when you get into the game, in your jobs, in your family, in your life, you're better. Two, clarity. Set the goals that you need to accomplish so that you know that you get there, you feel good. And it'll only inspire you to get to the next one. And three, access the incredible power of rituals. And with this... Maybe each and every one of us will go a little bit further in becoming the Olympic athlete that we deep down know that we all should and could be. This is Charlie Harari thanking you for your time and attention. Can't wait to speak to you next week. And you're listening to the Blaze Radio Network. Delving into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari.